Welcome to Wallachia. Previously, Father Abraham discovered the body of a farmer who had been killed by a vampire. After making arrangements to have him safely buried, Abraham meets with Marley. He reveals that his uncle was a vampire hunter and that they used to track vampires together. He leaves, promising to teach Marley and Loreline what he knows about the undead. Chapter 13 The Mystery of the Blue Flames A secret vampire expert, said Loreline, Father Abraham, makes bad jokes during Mass, plays the violin, and also he kills vampires. Of all the things he could have said, I didn't expect that. Marley remained on her bed, thinking. On her ride back from Turner Roshi Pass, she'd had to decide what to tell everyone about what had happened. Friedrich and Wilhelm had seen the vampire woman. Now, Father Abraham had come across a new victim. That part of the story was already set. How to account for why she'd gone in the first place, on the other hand, needed deciding. She didn't like lying to her sisters, or Tata, or Father Abraham, but she had to keep the Skolomance's secrets as long as she was alive. The Solomonari were too dangerous to risk exposing. Keeping close to what had already happened, she'd made up a few details that fit with what everyone already knew. It was widely thought that vampires could coerce people into doing their bidding. Her story, then, was, Margareta, her former dance instructor, had come under the spell of this vampire woman who commanded her to bring her a victim. In reality, her lie made as much sense as the truth. There were still several questions Marley didn't have answers to. Did the vampire know they would be on the road to Lake Hermannstadt that night? Had the headmaster sent her? But Margareta had been under strict orders to bring Marley to the school. Why bring her that far only to feed her to a vampire on their doorstep? And how did Count Dracula's men know to look for her on the road to the Skolomance? What did he know about her escape from the school? What do you know about vampires anyway? Marley realized she hadn't been listening to her sister. Only little, she said, lying. Father Abraham's books included several accounts of vampires. Some of them were certainly not genuine, but there were a few that seemed credible. I thought they were superstitions until Friday night. I think a lot of what we think we know about them has been made up and twisted by scared people, like stories about werewolves. What about werewolves? Warriors in ancient times used to dress up in wolf skins to sneak through the forest. Peasants saw them and made up stories. Aren't vampires supposed to be able to turn into animals? I don't know. Her mind started to go back through what she'd read about them. It was hard to know what might be real. She was eager to get into Father Abraham's books. Dora came skipping up the stairs. Dinner's ready, she said. Marley started to stand up, then looked across the rim for her cane. She'd left it by the door. Loreline brought it to her. Will I get to see the Order of the Dragon Guards when they come? asked Dora. Probably, said Marley. I think they're just sending one driver, though. Why are they, he, coming so late? Because that's when Count Dracula was available. Why does he want to see you? He wants to know about what happened Friday night. One of the customers last week said the Order of the Dragon fights vampires. Dora waited for Marley or Loreline to respond. When neither did, she said, I thought they were Count Dracula's bodyguards. They are, said Marley. Father Abraham lent me a book about orders of chivalry. It said that they fought in the Crusades. They did. So why do they still exist? Most of them don't, but a few persisted because people like to have fancy titles and being a member of an order gives you that. I suppose that some ancestor Count Dracula was a member of the Order of the Dragon, and after they came home from the Crusades, they became part of Transylvanian tradition. Perhaps it's a custom that the Dracula family guards all join the Order. But then why would they be fighting vampires? What was the original mission of the chivalric orders? To fight in their crusades. They were an army, yes. Typically, whom does an army fight for? A king, or a sultan, or whatever? Against? The king's enemies, another country, or an invasion? If you're fighting for church, though, who are your enemies? The book said heretics, people who weren't Christian who were occupying the Holy Land. Imagine that you're a chivalric order in 1816. 
The Crusades are long over, but you still think it's your mission to fight the enemies of the Church, of God. Dora thought for a second, then said, Vampires. Vampires and demons and whatever other evil things are out there. Like witches? Maybe so, said Marley. Witchcraft was a word Harley ever used at the Skola Mance, which preferred magic or sorcery. Witches were associated with evil and with the persecution of magic users. Another reason she needed to keep her last two years a secret. The village was already overloaded with stories about vampires and werewolves. Mate's daughter is a witch would be the last straw, thought Marley. So the Order of the Dragon's job is to fight bad things, said Dora. Evil things. They think it is, yes. Count Dracula wants me to tell him what happened in the woods, because his men want to kill this vampire. They need to know everything there is I can tell them. Soup is getting cold, called Tata from downstairs. Dinner was sour meatball soup and bread. Tata had been waiting to share a letter he'd gotten from his brother. Unky Thomas was having another baby. Their aunt and uncle lived a day's ride to the southwest. When? asked Loreline. End of autumn. Can we go see them when it's born? asked Dora. I'm sure they'd like that. Does that make six? asked Marley. She was trying to think of the names of each of Unky Thomas's boys. I'll start making a blanket, said Loreline. What colors did we use for Angela? Seven, said Tata, answering Marley's question. Seven? Pardon, you said Angela? Did I miss one while I was away? asked Marley. Oh, did we not tell you? You have a new niece, said Tata. I'm sure I put it in the letter when you were at school, said Loreline. Didn't I? You did not. Oh, well, then my apologies. Marley considered flinging a spoon at her sister, but let it pass. They finally got their girl, then. Good for them. After they had all finished eating, Marley tried to get up to clear the table, but Loreline wouldn't allow it. I'll take care of it. Dora, why don't you take your sister upstairs and help her get dressed for the count? Dora smiled and hopped up. She got all the way to the stairs before turning around to wait for Marley. Maybe Mama's blue dress, called Loreline from the kitchen. It's not a formal, said Marley. That blouse with a red embroidery, then, and a clean pastelka. That one has tomato on it, said Loreline, pointing to the skirt her sister was wearing. Marley looked down and frowned. Dora gave Loreline a little salute, then bounced up the stairs. By the time Marley had gotten up to her room, her sister had already set out the blouse and a long skirt to match and was in the process of getting a fresh set of aprons to be worn instead of Marley's stained skirt. A pastelka was a type of wool skirt woven with elaborate geometric patterns. It could be either a wraparound skirt or a pair of aprons, with one worn in the front and the other in the back. The set Dora had picked out had red and gold shapes on black. After helping Marley dress and brushing her hair, Dora planted herself in front of the bakery to wait for the Count's men to arrive. She burst inside a short while after sundown, saying, He's here! Outside, a guard Marley hadn't met was standing beside a black, two-wheeled chaise. It was flying the Order's flag, a dragon wound into a circle, and was drawn by one of the Count's coal-black horses. Tata came out and spoke with the guard, who introduced himself as Ivan. He promised that Marley would not be gone for long and that he'd bring her back personally. Tata gave her a kiss and helped her up into the carriage. After she was seated, he stopped to admire the black horse. From the Count's stables, said Ivan, descended from stock given to the Draculas by the Romanovs, strong for climbing the mountain roads, fast, too, when needed. How do you think he'd do in a race with Pyroys, Marley? asked Tata. Marley settled into her seat, hoping her father wouldn't delay her for too long. He continued, Our horse, fine animal, local breed, perhaps not quite up to your standards. Wallachia's variety of horse was known for being strong and tireless, but very small and very slow. Moldavia's were a little larger, but anyone with money got theirs from Russia or Hungary. It was another cool night. Marley found a soft lap robe folded on the seat and put it over her legs. The chaise's hood was folded down, which she was glad of. She'd spent enough time in an enclosed cabin over the past few days. Tata finished with Ivan, and they set off toward Castello Argish. There were several people sitting in front of the Sarda as they passed. They stopped their conversations to watch the carriage go by and pointed at the order's flag. 
Since Count Dracula's arrival at the end of May, Marley had overheard a good many conversations in the bakery in the square about the Order of the Dragon. People were fascinated by them. They wore striking uniforms and were young and handsome and spoke with Transylvanian Saxon accents. In front of his store, Herr Schumacher was watching a customer walk back and forth in a new pair of boots. They, too, paused as Marley passed, but beneath the cobbler's heavy beard, she saw a different expression than those worn by the other onlookers. Perhaps not everyone was enthusiastic about their Transylvanian visitors. The carriage moved past the town square and through the streets. At the base of the road leading up the mountains to the castle stood a massive oak tree. Marley used to love lying down by its trunk and looking up at it. The first branches were over twice her height from the ground. She would imagine building a fort in them and waiting up there for someone to go by on the way to the castle. She'd yell down to them in her fantasy, shooting an arrow as a warning shot and demanding they pay her toll before they could pass. Now, as the carriage passed by the tree, she saw that a small wooden platform had been built under it. A ladder sat in its side by the trunk. They were a short way up the hill before Marley realized what it was for. That was where they were going to hang Nea Eugen after his trial tomorrow. They'd set it up early so he could see it when they'd brought him down to the courthouse from the castle. The carriage pulled up to the front gate. Marley had been in the castle many times. After walking through the gates in the front door, you came to the entrance hall. Straight ahead was a large staircase that led up to the living quarters. To the left were the library and the hall. To the right, the parlor and the dining room. Marley had been in the dining room, though never for a proper meal. During the masquerade ball, when the villagers were invited into the castle, women typically socialized in the hall, while men stayed in the library smoking their pipes and hookahs, which made her very jealous. Not of the pipes, but of being in a room with so many books. It wasn't until she got to the Skolomance that she ever saw as many books all in one place. The guard helped her down and escorted her into the castle. She expected to be taken to the parlor or the hall. Instead, he took her past the grand staircase to a corridor leading off to the left. They passed by a painting showing a number of mounted soldiers fighting in a gorge. Knowing Domniel Negrescu's love of Wallachian history, Marley guessed it must have been a depiction of some historic battle. The hallway ended in a heavy wooden door set into a curved section of the wall. Judging from her place inside the building, Marley guessed that this corresponded to one of the castle's towers. Ivan opened the door. Inside were spiral staircases leading up and down, along with two more doors. Ian had told her how the castle's towers let one move from the basement up into the rooms. The stairs down will go to the storerooms. The door to the left must be how the servants got into the hall. The other was straight ahead, leading to a part of the castle Marley had never been in. Ivan started up the stairs, then turned and looked at Marley, then her cane. He took half a step down and reached for her, seemingly unsure of how exactly he might help, but feeling the need to make the offer. I'm fine, she said, just about as fast as a Wallachian thoroughbred. This brought a deep laugh from Ivan. Once they had gone halfway around the stairs spiral, they passed by a barred window. Looking out, Marley could see the village down below, and a dark line that must be the Argus River beyond. A bright star shone just above the peak of the mountains beyond. Another turn around the tower, and they came to a door. The guard opened it and led Marley into a long hallway with doors on either side. Opening one, he gestured for Marley to enter. From the hall, she could hear a woman's voice. Absolutely delicious. I know you'd like to take your meals privately, but if it were possible, I would insist on serving you a bison steak. There aren't many more of them, I understand. Marley stepped into the room and saw Doamna Negrescu Nadia, wife of Radu, speaking with Count Dracula. She was a striking woman. Dark hair, red lips, a high, thin nose, somewhat like the Count's, Marley thought, seeing the two standing next to one another. No, they've been thinned out over the years. The medieval voivodes went on legendary hunts for them, and they say in ancient times there was a giant variety, but those are all gone now. The Count saw that Marley had entered and turned away from Doamna Negrescu. Ah, excellent. Thank you for coming. You'll forgive me, Doamna Nadia. Thank you, as always, for your company, and do tell your husband I'll be down later.
The Count put his hand on her back and directed her toward the door. Duam de Negescu took two steps, then stopped in front of Marley. Ah, the baker's daughter. They had met before, but she didn't expect the lady of the house kept track of all the villagers. Marley curtsied and said, Marilla Elena, ma'am. My husband told me about you. I'm so glad the good Count's men were able to come to your rescue. Yes, ma'am. Good evening, said the Count to Duam de Negescu. He took both of her hands in his, then kissed her cheeks. She gave Marley a look that was hard to interpret, then left. Ivan closed the door behind her, leaving Marley alone in the room with the Count. Morella Elena, I am Count Dracula of Transylvania. I am so thankful to Negris Gruradu for inviting me into his home, into your charming village. Now, tell me, what do you know of Dacia? Marley didn't expect this sort of question from the Count, though she supposed she wasn't sure what she expected. He had some association with the Skolomance. When Wilhelm had found her on the road to Lake Hermitstadt, he had said that Count Dracula would make an alternative arrangement with the headmaster. Yet, instead of speaking about the Skolomance and their intent for her to return, his first words for her were about history. Dacia, she thought for a moment, then realized she'd been talking about the Dacians earlier that night. Their warriors dressed up like wolves. Did they? Supposedly. They'd wear wolf skins and do some ritual that would help them be savage like wolves. What else? It was an ancient empire that used to cover the land that's now the two principalities, more or less, in Transylvania, Bukovina, and such. It eventually fell to the Romans. They, the Romans that is, built Trajan's Bridge so their army could cross the Danube. What else, said Marley? Oh, they worshipped a thunder god. The Romans wrote about how this barbarian tribe had temples to Jupiter, but it wouldn't actually have been the same deity. The Romans just liked to imagine that their gods had a wide reach. Amazing, said the Count. Please have a seat. He took a few steps back, bowing slightly, and waved his hand toward an upholstered chair beside a large table over which a number of papers were spread. Marley took a moment to look around the room. It was appointed lavishly with the large fireplace. There was a door on one wall that led, Marley assumed, to the bedchamber. A number of boxes were stacked on one side of the room. Large paintings hung on two of the walls, but one had an odd, bare space. There was a rectangular discoloration on the wall that, Marley supposed, owed to something having been hung there for a long time that had been removed recently. The Count saw her looking at the empty space in the wall and waved his hand. A petty symbol of vanity, mirrors. I had my men take it down the moment I arrived. She took her seat, then he moved to sit opposite her. He began, Fraulein Morella Elena, allow me to dispense with a few matters first. I, like you, once attended the Skolomance. I am well aware of its rules, and have learned from your former instructor that you saw fit to leave, he waved his hand in the air dismissively, before your seven years of study had concluded. Marley sat forward in her chair, anticipating the need to defend herself. Could she trust the Count? Was he going to ask her why she left? Count Dracula, I... He held up his hand to her. She stopped speaking. Looking at his hand, she was taken by how hairy it was. Like an animal's, he rested his elbow on the table, then spun one finger around in a circle for a moment as he thought. Its nail was sharp, almost to a point. I have very little interest in this particular matter, said the Count. What happened at Lake at Hermannstadt, and why you left, is your own business. But of course the headmaster wouldn't see it this way. That book of his that you signed when you began, he's very strict about the rules in it. After graduation, a Solomonar holds no particular fealty to the Skolomance. He goes out into the world and does what he pleases. But it tends to be expected that if the headmaster asks for something, one answers. But I am a boyer. I am wealthy and I have some degree of power. As such, I've sent word to the headmaster that, so long as you choose to work with me, I would consider further attempts by him to arrest you or bring you harm to equal an assault on myself, and for the moment he seems to have accepted these terms. He hasn't even asked for his coach back. With this, the Count laughed. It was a horrible, rasping sound. I, Marley said, she didn't quite know what to say. I'm grateful, Count Dracula. I suppose I don't understand. 
From what Frau Margareta said, you are a tremendously gifted student. I would hate to see those gifts go to waste. It happens that there is a puzzle I have been trying to solve, and a talented solo minari such as yourself who can dedicate herself to it would be of great service to me. A puzzle. The Count stood and walked to the window. With his back still to Marley, he said, Tell me about St. George's Day. Marley wondered what Dacia could possibly have to do with St. George's Day. It was last month, she said. There's a big feast every year, and then the shepherds take their flocks out to pasture, and there's a superstition about it, that St. George's Eve is a wicked night. Everyone stays indoors because there are supposed to be evil things about. And what happens on that night? They say if you have the courage to go out, you can find treasure. It's marked by a blue flame that you can only see on that one night. The Count smiled, astounding. Something came to Marley. Is it Dachian treasure, Count Dracula, buried in the mountains? The Count repeated, astounding. Your maestra did not make the connection, Frau Margareta. I noticed her when she arrived here in her white cloak looking for you and had her brought to me. She told me she was here to take you away. I told her I had need of someone to do research for me. I showed her what I was working on, but she was not much help. Then, of course, she decided to leave and take you with her. He made a thin smile. And you know how that turned out. Count Dracula, I thought you would want to know about the vampire that the Count raised both his hands, then pushed them down, as if pushing the subject away. My men, he paused, will take care of that. They are very familiar with these things. I would prefer to discuss other matters. The Count sat back down. Two thousand years ago, the Dacians worshipped a god of fire and thunder. Today, a blue fire marks a treasure. I believe that something links them together, and I would like you to help me discover what that is. On this table and in these crates, I have brought with me a number of books and maps about this land, the Dacian, St. George, and many other subjects. Some are written languages I myself do not read. I think some of the answers to the secret of the blue fire may be in them. Thus, my proposal to you. My resources are at your disposal. Make arrangements with my man who brought you here tonight, and he will bring you back here any day you'd like. From time to time, we can meet to discuss your findings. When I depart for Transylvania, we can correspond in writing. In exchange, I will see to it that you are safe from the Scholomance. I will, of course, also pay your father a stipend for your time away from his shop. The offer of protection was something Marley couldn't turn down, but even without it, this was the sort of job she could only have dreamed about. Her mind was already racing, trying to think up what she'd tell her family. The languages, maybe. She couldn't say, Count Dracula found out I was a sorcery student and he wants my help doing research, but she could tell them he needed help translating his books. They spoke for a few more minutes. The Count said he would arrange with the household staff to have a room made available to her elsewhere in the castle, as it would be an impropriety for her to work from his quarters. Looking through the books the Count had brought, Marley asked, Count Dracula, how long do you expect this work to take? I'll have to translate a number of these in. I am very patient, Fräulein Morella Elena. And of course, it is only June. We have nearly a year before the fires appear again. And when my research is complete, the headmaster still wants me back. When I return to Castle Dracula, several members of my guard will remain in your village. You will be quite safe here under the protection of the Order of the Dragon. On the ride down the mountain, it occurred to Marley that in one night, she had, in fact, received two research assignments. With Father Abraham, she'd be learning about vampires. With Count Dracula, the mystery of the blue flames. Thank you for listening. Just a few little end notes. To the best of my ability to research 19th century peasant Romanian life, I try to insert details where I can. Pestelka is the local term for what's more generally called a fota. Marley being unmarried doesn't wear a head covering. 
The bit about Wallachian horses being small is from William Wickinson's 1820 book about the country. He says their stature is very small and they have no spirit, but they are strong, active, and capable of enduring great fatigue. The Carpathian wisent was a species of European bison that went extinct in the wild in 1852. Even by 1816, there would have been only a few left, having been hunted extensively. Nadia refers to a larger variety, the aurochs, which went extinct in the 1600s. If you look up Dragos Voivode of Wallachia on Wikipedia, you can find some info about his bison hunts. The story is that he tracked an animal until he came to the Moldova River. Dismounting there, his people liked the land so much they decided to settle there, founding Moldavia. I don't actually have any sources confirming that they were particularly delicious, I just like the idea that she was recommending them to Dracula, who we know doesn't eat. Next chapter, in two weeks, we'll see Eugen's trial. If you've been enjoying Wallachia, please tell your friends. You can follow along on Twitter at WallachiaNet or on the web at Wallachia.net. Also, events in my little side project, Dracula Live, are heating up. You can follow along with the original novel as it happened live in 1893 on Twitter at Live underscore Dracula.